couple of weeks ago, we started studying from uh, the text in James chapter 1 that challenges us to not only be those who hear the word, but that we're to be doers of the word. We're to be practicers of the word of God. And we emphasize our theme for that message was that what? Application is everything. You know, believing is good, having good intentions is fine, but application is everything. And so for last week, we talked, uh, and, and this week and next week, we've taken passages from Hebrews chapters, different chapters in Hebrews that speak to us in very pragmatic, practical ways about living for God. In, in, in very practical ways. And we notice that in those chapters, and there's actually 14 different places throughout the book of Hebrews uh, where the phrase, let us, is used. That phrase, let us do this, let us do that, let us do this. So we're going to look at a little bit more let us today, all right? And uh, today, the title of my message is Confidence in His Presence. Confidence in in his presence. Now you can begin by turning to our text in Hebrews chapter 4, and I'll read it to you in just a moment. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. But uh, let me just kind of set this up. I want you to remember something I said last week. The book of Hebrews was written to Messianic Jews. These are to Hebrews who had decided to put their faith in Yeshua as their Messiah. And as a result of that, they were facing a lot of persecution, just the days and the times in which they lived. There was a lot of pressures, adversity coming against them. And there tended to be a new trend among these Hebrew Christians. And that was that many of them were saying, were kind of asking them the questions, gosh, is this all worth it? I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on in life. Maybe, maybe we just, maybe we should turn back to the old way of doing things, turn back to the old Jewish traditions and regulations, and we won't have some of the problems that we're having today. So you find that there were a lot of people that were wavering in their faith, that were being tempted to fall away, and the Hebrew writer writes under the anointing of the Holy Spirit to challenge them, and he, he is both very teaching oriented, because there's a lot of teaching in Hebrews. I mean, so much so you can get lost in some of the verses, right? Like, wow, you got to really start getting more familiar with the Old Testament in order to read the book of Hebrews. Remember who it's being written to, all right? But in addition to some really significant, serious teaching about things in the, in the book of Hebrews, there's also a lot of practical advice on how we should live, all right? So I want to pick it up today. We're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about experiencing the presence of God today. And as you will see, these verses are very, very uh, dear to, uh, hopefully, to you already, but uh, should be dear to all of us. And I believe that this is particularly aimed today at those of you that maybe need hope, those of you that are a little bit weary, uh, those of you that find yourself struggling in one way or the other, maybe struggling to believe with your faith or maybe struggling simply to work out the kingdom of God, how his order should work in your life, how to experience more of Jesus, how to be consistent in your Christian experience. And if you're in those shoes, then this will particularly speak to you. So I'm going to begin reading in verse 14. I'll read verse 14 through verse 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest 
who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. But don't forget the yet. Yet he did not sin. Let us then, there's the lettuce, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, I think you'd agree that is a, that is a powerful couple of verses. And what I want to do today, very simply, is just I've picked three ideas from those couple of verses, 14 through 16, three ideas for practical Christian living. Again, our focus in this series in June is, is really how to practice our Christian beliefs. And so I want to suggest to you three things, three ideas that we glean from these verses for our practical Christian living. I don't know how well you can see. I picked a weird color for these slides today. So I'm not sure how much that lime green is helping out and you being able to read these. But I'll help you along and uh, you'll make sure you know where we're at. All right, so let's look at the three ideas. The number one idea is, is the comfort of knowing our great high priest. The comfort of knowing our great high priest. Now, in the verses that we just read, in verse 14, it starts by saying, therefore, it's getting ready to make a case. The Hebrew writer is making a case. So he's building up to verse 16, and he's telling us, therefore, since we have a great high priest. Do you know this is the only place in Scripture that we see this reference to him being a great high priest? Everybody would agree that Jesus Christ was great. But here it says his adjective is what? He is a great high priest. He is a great high priest. He's trying to make a point here. The point he's trying to make is that Jesus Christ was, as is also explained earlier and later in the book of Hebrews, Jesus Christ came to be the fulfillment of the priestly function from the Old Testament. More particularly, he came to be the capital H, capital P, high priest. He came to be our high priest. And we know from a little bit of study from the Old Testament that under the old regime, we know that there were priests. There were Levitical priests. There were, there were uh, priests who simply took care of the tabernacle, took care of the temple. But we know that there was one high priest. And that high priest had a very special job. And once a year would go in and present uh, an offering at the Day of Atonement in the very Holy of Holies. And this was a very, very special, important role. We know that Aaron personified this high priestly duty in the Old Testament. We know that Aaron in that high priestly duty is a type and a picture, a foreshadowing of what Jesus Christ was going to do. Because in the Old Testament, they presented sacrifices of animals, right? And they poured out blood from animals, and that was to satisfy and to be an atonement for the sins of the Israelites. And so now the Hebrew writer is saying, we just don't have a high priest in Jesus. We have a great high 
priest in Jesus. The idea is that no longer do animal sacrifices have to be made. And once and for all, Jesus, the high priest, our great high priest, has gone into the heavenly holy of holies and made a sacrifice for us. You'll actually see that phrase when it says there in verse 14, we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven. The word there ascended literally means to pass by without any obstacles. It's actually the the, the same word that's used for how Jesus came out of the grave, out of his grave clothes and out of the grave, the burial grave where he had been buried. There was nothing that was going to stop Jesus coming out of the grave. Amen. And when it talks about Jesus Christ, our great high priest ascending into heaven, there was no obstacles that man or demons could prevent him from completing his mission. He ascended. He passed through some translations says uh, he passed through into heaven then it clarifies who we're talking about jesus the son of god jesus the son of god you see human high priests were privileged to pass through the veil of the temple from the holy place into the holy of holies again once in a lifetime they did that then they returned to their ordinary life So a human priest, it was a a once-in-a-lifetime momentary privilege and experience. But for Jesus, guess what? Not so with Jesus. He passed through the heavens to resume his place of authority. After he had given his life, he was not only the great high priest, but he was also the lamb of God. He was also the sacrificial lamb who gave up his own life for the covering of our sins so that we could be called righteous today and forgiven today, that Jesus didn't just return to ordinary life, but Jesus passed through the heavens to take his place of authority at the right hand of God on high. Jesus is our high priest. This speaks of his supremacy. This speaks of his exaltation. This speaks of the fact that Jesus is all sufficient. Listen, you don't need another human priest to do any sacrificial offerings for you. Jesus has taken care of it once and for all. Aren't you glad? That that old-time religion is old, dead, and unnecessary. Today, he has already made the sacrifice. He is our great high priest, and through him, we have access to heaven. We have access to the presence of God, and every day, you can live in God's presence. And we'll look at some other things that you can do practically in your own experience with God. But, But just be comforted by the fact that we have a great high priest. Oh, I'm so thankful that he is my great high priest. And the fact of the matter is, now as our great high priest, the scripture made it very clear here. It says that he understands. He understands. For in verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. How many of you understand what the word empathize means? Uh, There's a word that sometimes we use that says sympathize. And then there's another word, empathize. What's the difference between those? 
if you sympathize with someone, you see someone going through someone, you go, man, that must be difficult. That must be awfully hard. If you empathize it, it is a much deeper level of connection at an emotional level because why? You have experienced it yourself. When I used to pastor people who had lost close loved ones, uh, I could sympathize with them because I imagined intellectually, wow, that must be really heartbreaking to lose a loved one. But I had never lost a family member. Then after I'd lost my mother and my father and, and all of the things that went along with that, then, then next thing I know is someone tells me that their, their father passed away or a close loved one, and now all of a sudden I can empathize. Why? I've been there. I've felt it. When parents tell me today about the struggles they're having with their teenagers and maybe they're having uh, their teenagers that are turning away from God, I don't have to just sympathize with them. I can empathize. We've been through that. We've been through that ordeal. God through it, praise God. But there's a difference. Here it tells us that, that Jesus is actually able to empathize with us. Why? Because he's faced every temptation, struggle that you can and will ever face. That ought to be comforting to you, to know that our high priest understands our weaknesses. Sometimes I think we convince ourselves that Jesus is so distant from us, that as our God, the Son of God, that he is somehow distant and disconnected, but yet the Bible tells us that he's faced all the same tests struggles, temptations that we have with one big difference, with no sin. I, I tell you, sometimes, I mean, I know this theologically, I understand it intellectually, but sometimes I just have trouble putting my hands around it. Because I think the moment that I face something, I, I immediately start complaining. Can anybody relate? I've already messed it up. Just takes one complaint, one bad attitude, now I've sinned. But it says that Jesus was sinless. He faced every temptation, every struggle. Can you imagine what he went through in the wilderness as Satan was tempting him face to face? And I have Christians say, yeah, pastor, I know, because the devil's always on my case. He's doing this. He's tempting me. Can, can I, be, I don't want to offend you, but likely the devil himself has never been in your face. You're not important. The devil is not omnipresent. There's just one of him. He's got millions and millions of demons and principalities and powers and workers on his behalf that do plenty of evil things around in the, in the heavenlies and on the earth today. But Satan himself, the fallen angel, Lucifer himself, dealing with you one-on-one, -on -one, you haven't had the opportunity to do that yet. And I pray you never do. You're not that important. Does that offend you? I hope not. But, but now, have you? has the enemy attacked you? Surely he has. Has he sent hordes of demons to try to defeat you and discourage you? Likely, maybe so. But I promise you, you probably haven't had to deal with the devil himself. But Jesus did. Face to face, repeatedly. 
had to deal with every one of those temptations. Temptations of the, of the mind, temptations of the soul, the emotion, temptations of, of, every, of pride. Every temptation, every category of temptation that you and I would ever face. May that encourage us sometimes. We feel like we're struggling with a temptation. We're struggling with some sin that seems to have a grip in our life. Would you just remember, he understands. He feels your pain. He feels what you're going through. He can empathize with us. That is comforting. He's full of compassion. He's merciful as well as all-powerful. He was tempted in every way. Here's the point. God himself has felt what we feel. When he became a man, he got down at, at eye level and he experienced what it's like to be tired and discouraged. He knows what it's like to be hurt and to bleed. Not too long ago, I was observing one of our children's uh, lead teachers in a classroom with some of our two- and three-year-olds, and I was watching the teacher, and I was very impressed because I noticed that rather than the teacher standing up and just giving orders, the teacher was trying to appeal to a three-year-old that was struggling in the class. And the teacher got down, right down here, right down here at eye level with that three-year-old, and was communicating very much, connecting with that three-year-old eye to eye. Do you know that's the way Jesus did it for us? He got down on our level so that he could really understand and really communicate to us and help us to understand. He gets it. What he felt, the pain, the struggle that he went through in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's struggling to figure out, is it my will or is it Father's will? The choice, because he had a free will. He had the ability to make the choices. Some of you say, oh, well, that was easy for Jesus to go all through all that stuff because, I mean, he was God. He was 100% man too. Which for him to be 100% man meant that he had to have the will and the ability to make the choice. He chose the Father's will instead of his own. And so by nature experience and desire jesus as god's son helps us even as he was helped by the father and the holy spirit in his sinless humanity and this applies to every one of us regardless of our current circumstances folks we need to be encouraged in our struggles in our weaknesses as we have situations with co-workers and relatives and marriages and kids health and fight against sin and all the rest of the stuff we deal with the second idea that i want to suggest to you today number one was what the comfort of knowing our great high priest number two is the challenge to hold firm to our faith our faith is our belief our belief in the word of god our belief in what Jesus tells us, our belief that what Jesus said is true, our belief in who he is, and that when he says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, we believe that that's true. Uh, when he says to us, if we turn from our sin, that he will be faithful and, and just to forgive us if we confess our sin. What, is that true or not? Uh, that's our faith, is that we believe that. We believe that Jesus took by his stripes we were healed. We believe that, that Jesus' authority is greater than the devil's authority. How many of you believe those things? Huh? But, but here, that is our faith. But there are Christians who have begun to slip and slide and compromise on the 
profession and the confession and the holding firm of that faith for many different reasons because of all different kinds of pressures. Let me remind you what verse 14 says. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly, the NLT says, to what we believe. Speaking about our faith, what we know that we know that we know. We have a challenge being offered to us here that we need to hold firm. Why? Because... Jesus Christ is our great, everybody say great, great high priest because he is all sufficient because he is the one and the only supreme one. These are strong words when it says to hold fast, hold fast. By the way, the language here suggests a continual holding. So it's not enough just to hold fast once. We have to hold on and then hold on and keep holding on. Amen. This has to do with being in control, having a grip over, to exercise power over. You see, God the Son has already done the salvation, the work of salvation for us. That is a finished work. But now what we must do is we have to hold on diligently applying the work of Christ for ourselves. We have to apply it. We have to reject the pressure that the world puts on us to turn away from Jesus. We have to reject the pressure from others that say, just compromise. The pressure from others who say, be more tolerant. Be more inclusive. We have to hold firm to the faith that we believe in. That uh, is exactly what Jesus was trying to encourage Peter to do. When he warned him of what was coming. I've always been comforted by this passage in Luke 22. May I just remind you of the story. Uh, I'll read it from the NIV. Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Now about you, that doesn't sound too exciting, does it? That says a lot of things. So there's communication going on. Satan came to Jesus and said, Simon right there, I want to sift him as wheat. And then Jesus said, but I prayed for you. I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail and that when you have turned back When you've turned back, strengthen others as a result. Um, Just imagine this. Satan's talking to Jesus, and he's got his eye on Simon Peter. He says, I want to sift him as wheat. Now, actually what happened was Satan wanted to sift him as wheat and remove, you know, when you sift wheat, like on a threshing floor, you sift it, and then the good part of the wheat, the germ is kept, and the chaff is blown away and discarded, right? Satan wanted to sift him, keeping his plan was, I want to get rid of the good and just keep the chaff. But what Jesus was willing to do is he said, he said, well, he said, I'm praying for him. I, I, I believe that what happened is he allowed some sifting to go on in Peter's life 
But Jesus' intent was different. Jesus' intent was that the chaff would be blown away and the germ, the good part of the wheat, would be left. I prayed for him that his faith wouldn't fail. Do you know what takes you through difficulties and tests and siftings? Your faith. Your faith. And a big part of faith and developing our faith is on us. We have to keep our faith strong. But I love the idea that Jesus actually prays for us that our faith will remain strong. And, and, and I just can't miss this part. He said, and by the way, when you get through this difficult time, do what? Make sure you go around and you share the experience. And, and strengthen some other people with what you just learned through that. I think we all ought to take that to heart. And remember, we, we have something to share with other people. We go through difficult things. We get tested. And then you come out of it on the other side. Make sure you take it and encourage other people with it. But, but just think about this. Where you're at right now, you're, you're, let's just say you're going through some, some severe sifting. Okay? I suggest to you, a lot of people are always telling me, well, well, pastor, I don't know what's, what's going on. Is this the devil or is this God? And they spend months theologically trying to sort through, is it the devil or is it God? I understand that may be a valid philosophical, theological question, but can I just give you some practical advice, what I've learned? It's likely both. Usually, in most scenarios, Satan's out to do something. And we know his, his mission is very clear, to steal, kill, and destroy. So he's out to destroy something. He's out to take you out, to take you down. He's out to kill you. He's out to do this and this and this. And what do you think God's up to? I believe God's also in those situations. He's active. What's he trying to do? He's trying to strengthen you. He's trying to allow you to some of that chaff to be blown away. So God wants to, he wants to sanctify you, strengthen you, make you better, make you more effective. The devil's trying to tear you down. So can you see that there's a battle going on? There's a war going on around you? But the question is, what will you choose? Whose side will you line up with? And be comforted by this. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father today, the Bible tells us. And one of the things that Jesus is active doing is what? He is praying for you. He is making intercession. He's an intercessor. And he is interceding, standing on your behalf with the Father. He's saying, now I'm praying for Shannon. Shannon's going through this with, oh Lord, would you help Shannon? And he's standing praying for Shannon in the midst of his crisis. He's praying for Lord for what she's going through. He's praying for each and every one of us. Could you just be comforted today to know that you can stand firm, stand firm, don't waver. Why? Jesus is praying for you. Hold on firmly to this faith that you have in Jesus as your high priest. He's interceding for you. He's praying for you in the midst of your sifting that your faith will not fail and that you'll come through it stronger than ever and then you'll be able to strengthen others as well. Amen? Let's look at number three. Number three is the confidence to experience his presence. Number one was the comfort of knowing our great high priest. That was the first idea. The second one was the challenge to hold firm in our faith. And number three is the confidence to experience his presence. Let me see if I can wrap this up quickly. We're challenged here to draw near. Look what he says in verse 16. Because of what has already been set up in verse 14 and 15, 
about Jesus, our great high priest. He says in verse 16, let us then, the idea is what? Because of what we've just established, because Jesus understands, because he understands what we're going through, because he has already passed through heavens and has taken his seat at the right hand of the Father, because he's interceding, because he is our great high priest, let us then do what? Approach, one translation says, draw near God's throne of grace. How? With confidence, one translation says, with boldness. And then he tells us why we might be approaching the throne of grace. Tells us how to approach the throne. It tells us, number one, what kind of throne it is. Number two, how to approach that throne. And number three, the reasons why we might approach that throne. Let's break it down. First of all, it tells us what kind of throne it is. What kind of throne is it? It's God's throne, but it's a throne of what? Grace. Grace. Aren't you delighted it's not the throne of wrath? It is not denoted as the throne of judgment. It is not the throne of condemnation. It is a throne of grace. Which ought to be a, a, an inviting, soothing, oh good. You know, if, if you know a friend, if you know someone who's full of grace, you, you want to spend time with them. Why? They're not constantly criticizing you. They're not always on your back. They're always telling you what you're failing to do. Oh, you can't do this. You got to do this better. Sometimes I just want to say to people, have a little grace. Could we just have a little grace here? Right? Let, let, let's share with one another some kind, same kind of grace God extended to us. I mean, his grace saved us, right? This is a throne of grace, every kind of grace. It's a throne that's inviting for us. And he tells us here, how do we approach it? How do we come up to the throne of grace? Boldly. How can we do that? Confidently, boldly, without fear, without hesitation, without any shame at all, we can come before the throne of God because it's a throne of grace. We can come confidently. Why? Because we're not coming in our own merit. We're not coming with a stack of performances saying, now I've been really good this week. So Lord, you really all let me approach your throne today on this. No, no, this is a throne of grace. It has nothing to do with your performance. It has everything to do with what Jesus has already finished for you. Aren't you glad? Thankful. Hallelujah. I can come on his behalf. He's my high priest. Hallelujah. I can just roll right in on his blood. I just roll right in on the fact that he's already passed through heaven. He's already paved the highway all the way to the throne of grace. So I can come right in on that road and I can come with confidence, not because I'm good looking, not because of my pedigree, not because of degrees, not because of my, 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 my ministry accomplishments, not because I've been perfect this week to my family or my wife or my husband. But why? Because of who he is. I can come boldly, without fear, without shame, confidently because of what God's word says about me. That is important. That is important that I can come with confidence. Now, there's several other places, and I won't go into them for the sake of time in the book of Hebrews that speaks to the same word that we can come boldly. Uh, Hebrews 10, 19, Hebrews 13, 6 also use the same word. So the idea here is that we can come with confidence and we come for two different things, two different things that you can come to the throne for. This is very practical, so I want to make sure I get it in before we close. Number one, to 
receive mercy. Number two, to find grace. Receive mercy, find grace. Why might we need to find to receive? Why might we need to uh, receive mercy? Because we fail. He, it is His nature. God doesn't just dispense mercy. He is merciful. He is the God of mercy. And we need to remember, God is not just all-powerful. He is not simply a God of uncompromising justice. He is a mercy-having God. Many of us today are prone by our own nature to see God's mercy somehow as incidental to who He is. We suspect that perhaps by uh, He shows mercy uh, just when there's a particular situation, a weakness. But let us remember what the Word of God says, that we see that God shows His mercy with utter intentionality and total strength. We need to see a deep glimpse into his goodness. He is a merciful God. It speaks of his gentleness, his tenderness in dealing with us. Romans 9, 16, Paul says, It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort. It depends totally on God's mercy. I don't know about you but I want mercy. Do you know one of the most common phrases used to address Jesus in all of the New Testament in the narratives was what? Have mercy. People who called out to Jesus said, have mercy on me. Why? They understood their need for mercy. How many of you today really understand how much mercy you need? We need mercy. And out of his tender mercies and compassion, we can come before him Boldly to receive it. Boldly. With confidence. You don't have to crawl in there. You just come in boldly and say, I've got to have some mercy today. Your mercies are new every morning. It's it's morning time. I need mercy. Pour out a little bit. I'm in need of some mercy. Everybody say together. Say, have mercy on me. We all need mercy. Amen. The Lord will comfort us. And why the second thing that we might go to the throne for is what? Grace to help. The the verse says, grace to help in my time of need. The Bible tells us in Psalm 46 and verse 1 that the Lord is a present, present help in time of need. If you got it all together, you don't need a present help. If everything's perfect in your life, you don't need an ever-present help. If everything's smooth, you don't need it right now. But if you're like me, and there's challenges, and there's ups and downs, and there's sometimes that there's financial challenges you're trying to increase your faith for, there's sometimes that your family feels like it's all falling apart, there's times that you and your wife or you and your husband can't get on the same page, if there's some of you that are struggling with a sin and you can't quite get through it if you need the grace just to go through a day if you just need grace can i just make sure you understand what grace means here there's different kinds of grace in the bible and here this is not talking about saving grace there's saving grace we've all been saved by grace if you're a believer all right we've been saved by grace this is a different different style of grace I, i like the best definition i've ever heard of this kind of grace is god's willingness 
to act on our behalf. That's grace. He's willing to act on our behalf. I look at it as like a bank of grace. He has this unending, never-ending supply of grace. And when I come before the throne of grace, I'm just making a withdrawal. I need a little bit. I need to withdraw all the grace here today. I need grace because grace helps. Grace helps me when I have a need. Grace helps. Anybody here need some grace help today? Then come boldly, confidently to him and lay hold of what you need. Would you stand to your feet, please? I hope today that one of those three ideas has ministered life to you. I'm going to close with an invitation asking our prayer teams to be available here at the front. So I want to ask you two things with your heads bowed. Number one, do you need mercy today? Do you need to call upon God to receive mercy through some failures? You just need to call on His mercy. Or maybe you need some of that grace withdrawal help you in a time of need I'm just going to ask you to be bold enough our worship, our prayer teams are here at the front to minister and I'm here but if you need to receive mercy or to find some grace to help in your life right now I want you just to step out where you're seated, just come and stand here across the front we're going to minister to you right now, we're just going to wait for you so right now in my life boy I need to receive mercy I need mercy. Come on, I know some of you need to respond. If you're living under condemnation and guilt because of something you've done, then then you need to come forward. You need some mercy. If you feel like you're a failure, you need to come forward. Maybe there's some of you who say, I just need to receive some grace. I need to find some grace, God's willingness to act on my behalf. I've got situations, I've got crises going on in my life. That, that need to be addressed, that need to be addressed. I need to find some grace to help. I need help. Would you come down right now? Just come. Slip out of your seat. Come stand here at the altar, and we'll have someone pray with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Please come. Please come. Please come. Oh, God, I need to get some of that grace withdrawal from your banks of grace right now to help me in my life. Yes, God. Anyone else, please come now. Wherever you're seated. I just sense that there are some people that are really struggling with stuff in life and you need to be honest enough to receive that help. Receive that help. Receive that help. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Debbie, would you come, please? Thank you, Jesus. Now I'm just going to pray. We're going to be just maintain the spirit of ministry that's here. I'm going to just pray a prayer to conclude, and then Brad's going to just speak a blessing over you, and the rest of us will be dismissed. Let's be reverent for those that are here receiving ministry. 
Holy Spirit, we thank you for working in our hearts today to comfort us, to challenge us, to remind us, to push us closer to the throne of grace. Lord, you say this is something practical for us to make a part of our daily lives. We pray that we be doers of the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Lord. Fellow saints in Christ Jesus, would you lift your hands and receive the eternal blessing of the Word of God. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, both now and forevermore, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen and amen. When you leave, remember who you are and who you represent. God bless you.